Hello and welcome back to the Health and Safety Digest, a special podcast by Astutis. I am your host, as ever, the digital content writer for Astutis, Toby Howell, and I am your guide through this voyage of health and safety training. On today's show, we have a very, very special guest. We are honoured to bring on Jason Anker, MBE. Now, uh, some of you may be aware of Jason's story, but to those who are not, uh, we strongly advise you to investigate Jason's previous interviews and live talks to get a better picture. But in short, in 1993, Jason fell from 10 feet from a ladder and it limited him to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Um, Jason has spoken at length about how that could have been prevented and how the job that day was unsafe. Um, and he has spent the rest of his career going around the entire world, talking to companies and individuals uh, about how important it is to adhere to health and safety regulations. Uh, Jason is widely considered to be a global health and safety influencer, and we are absolutely honoured to have him on the show today. So um, without further ado, Jason, welcome. Oh, thank you for a lovely introduction, Toby. <laughs> thank you very much. It's great to be here. It, it, it's an absolute honour to have you on the show. And, um, you know, before before I start off, I'd like to say uh, what I think what you do, and I think as a company, we, we believe everything that you do is absolutely amazing. And uh, we're honoured to have you on. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, mate. So um, if we could start off by talking about health and safety as a general topic, um, you know, what would you say as a first question, really, what would you say health and safety means to you? Well, obviously, you know, since the last sort of 13 years I've been speaking, health and safety means absolutely everything to me. Uh, prior to that, what did it mean to me? Probably what a lot of people I speak to when they come into a session mean, because it hasn't got the best reputation of being a, an, interest, an interesting topic, you know, especially to a room full of um, people sat in a canteen or, or in a venue, you know, it's it, yeah, we feel like we've got better things they could be doing with that hour of time, you know, arms folded, you know, when they come in a room, we still we, we experience that sort of thing. I think making health and safety be, be more attractive to listen to is key. You know, the days of just, you know, reading off a flip chart and, and telling people what they should do, I think is gone. We need to involve people and ask them what they think about health and safety. I think that is that is key involvement. You know, are we talking to or talking with the people we you know we want to help? You know, um, however, I actually believe we've changed, and I think we've changed probably due to the crisis we've all been through. And I think now we 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 are taking this holistic approach to well-being as well. It's, it should be health, safety, and well-being. You know, traditionally it's always been about rules and procedures and getting them right and then the training. And obviously, if people are trained and people have, the, you know, the right equipment, they should work safe. But we all know that people sometimes choose not to, which was in my case, in my accident, I actually chose not to work unsafe. And, and probably that's that's where we are. Well, it is interesting you bring that up because I was going to I was going to ask you a question about that later on. I think there's definitely been a shift, hasn't there, between you know the 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 mental health aspect and the inclusion of that. It's health, safety, and well-being, as you as you rightly said. And I think in that answer you just gave there, you really did sum it up. There's this kind of um, stigma, isn't there, regarding the topic of health and safety? My next question was always going to be, 
you know, you have your view on it. We have our view on it. And I think it's pretty shared. Um, do you think other people, do you think other people share that view? Um, some, if I'm being totally honest, I still get asked to speak for certain clients where they see my presentation as a tick in a box. I will get a We'll get an inspirational speaker and that'll solve our problems or we just would sign the sheets tick the box and you know i'd like to say that doesn't happen today but it, it, it still does occasionally i mean i'm very fortunate now you know got quite a good reputation so i don't i don't really get asked to be in the presentation anymore but in the early days you now i spent a lot of time just going in rooms with guys signing sheet, no no introduction just go in the room and there wasn't really interesting even what i'd said um so that's a shift. Yeah, I think there has been a shift, you know, a positive shift. I think people are slowly, slowly realizing that the old format, um, and it might have achieved a certain amount. You know, it might, it might have achieved a little bit, but for how long? How it wasn't long lasting. Hence why historically a lot of companies go on the yearly campaigns. And I, you know, I, I always roll my eyes slightly when I get approached by a company saying, "Oh, we've got a campaign going of when they're working at height," and I sort of roll my eyes and say, "What is this? So, well, why are you having a campaign?" What 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 is the longevity of the campaign? So it, it'll start off really well, and then it'll get towards the middle. You have a little bit of a dip, and then it, it falls away at the end. Um, and then they wonder why a year later they're asking me back to do another campaign. And it should be something that should be just company wide, yes. year on year, day yeah. every day. It, it's it, it's a you know a, a continuum of always striving to get better, never set. You know we we you know always looking for the, the next thing to, to help and yeah me personally i don't think there's any one training that, that's the key and, and for so long i think a lot of companies have been looking for the, the golden bullet or whatever they, that they like to call it and there isn't one you know it's just a mix of online training face-to-face -face, equipment assessment it's just ongoing um and without sort of going to next questions i know what some of the questions going to be asking we'll probably answer that a bit deeper as we go through the podcast well, it, it was very, very interesting because I, I think we, we have that kind of combination, don't we, where in, 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 in corporate life, there are companies that will take it for what it is and, and they will and they will try and push it. And there is this, we, well, we'll talk later on about this report that we published, but there is this compliance issue. There is this tick boxing issue. And sometimes it's very, very hard to see what the difference is because obviously you know it's all PR. In your opinion, um, with the culture of health and safety, um, you know how is the status of that today? Say maybe in comparison to ten years ago, when I know that you were still travelling the world and and, do, and doing what you are doing now. Yeah, uh, obviously, if we look back ten years, have things improved? Of course, they improved. Has the culture improved? I think I think there's definitely been a shift from safety culture to looking at just culture of the business right. i think that's probably the, the biggest shift that you know we've seen we've still a long way to go and obviously that's what we we try and specialize in getting companies away from just talking about having a great safety culture because that's the way to talk about the culture of the business you know what what is the culture of the business what is what is what is the attitude of your people when they turn up to work in the morning are they coming in a good mood because working for a good company with a good culture or they're working for a, a company that's got a good safety record, but she's not very nice to work for. Right. And well, ultimately, this was going to be my next question, because interestingly, we, we, we've released a report, as I've just previously mentioned, on 
really asking our um, our partners, uh, you know, our, our corporate learners about their perception of health and safety in their business. And I've got the figure here. I think it was 61% viewed that uh, the changing of culture and behavior in business regarding health and safety is their biggest aim. Now, the interesting thing there with me with that is, would you say that, that when you go company to company, would you say that that is the one thing that you take away that's most obvious in those companies? That it is the changing of behaviors, the changing cultures? that's required? Yeah, yes. I say it, I say it in that way, yeah, yeah, yes, of course it is. Um, but I, I think people are still looking for this this thing that's going to be the one thing to change it. Right. You know, it, it, it's not a, it's not a, a thing. It, it, the culture is something that, you know, it, it comes from the top and it takes a while to build and people have to trust it. You know, if people don't trust what's being said to them, you know, you can have, you know, a company with below KPIs and they think they're doing really, really well, but is that a reflection of the culture of the business? You know, it might just be a case of they've been looking, they've no accidents, but actually it's a real crap place to work. Um, so, I, 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 yeah, I, I totally agree with that, you know, but changing culture and the behaviours, you know, it is very challenging. It is very, very challenging to, to, to get to that point, you know, and, yeah, you know, I, I paraphrase Tim all the time. Obviously, Tim Marsh, my business partner, and some things he says, you know, it, it it takes so long to build a really, really good culture in a company, and yet it only takes one incident to to break it and bring it back down to zero again. That's that's actually a very, very interesting quote, because ultimately you you've been talking here about this magic bullet, this kind of this this kind of thing that would fix everything, this magic pill. Um, would that be cutting corners, do you think? Do you think it takes more than that? Do you think it takes more than, you know, a seminar? You know, what, what is your what is your opinion on the fact that these companies are, are, are you know, bringing you along and, 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 and people, are, you know, like you and are trying to use you as that kind of, as that motivating factor? Do you think it requires more than that? Is, is there, you know, is that cutting corners? Uh, um, well, <laughs> Again, I'm going to answer in, in, in two two ways. Cutting corners, yeah, yes. I mean, some companies have traditionally used me for for that. You know, they've seen me at a conference. Oh, come speak to our guys. We need you in straight away. And I do a series of roadshows. You know, I go all over the country, Europe, wherever it was, all the facilities. And they truly believe that that would be the answer, and there'd be no follow up. You know, I, I suppose me me ten years ago, I I probably brought into that a little bit. I thought I you know I could really help on this and. Again, joined forces with Tim, sort of realising that I think what what an inspirational speaker does, and I know at the moment at time the, the inspirational speaking people are, are, are a bit been like, I know we are having the same impact, but we've always had the same impact. An inspirational, an inspirational speaker will do do something in the room that probably no one else can do. They create that moment. Yeah, right. But if a company then does nothing with that moment. Even the greatest speaker on the, on the most heartbreaking story, that that story is only lasts for a period of time. Now, some people it may change them forever. You know, some people may be so affected by what you've said they might change in, in, immediately. Uh, there may be a few people in the room who pay no attention to that presentation at all, and I've come across these people. And for but for the vast majority of people, I think we create a moment, and that moment can last for a week in some people two weeks, a month, even a year. 
but eventually that moment will will fade. It's like watching your favourite film over a period of time. It, it pops out your mind, and it always takes a trigger to to bring that memory back. So, you know, I, I'm a true believer that company has to do more than just bring it. It's what you do next. I've always said it's what you do next, and that applies to any anything. Whatever you do is only good for that moment. It's what you do next, and what are you going to continually to create this culture where you know it. It, it, it gets better and better and better. Uh, I think that's all we can we came for. You know, I, I had a great speech. I was working uh, this week and Louise Ward, really, really well regarded. And, you know, she, she made this statement to, to the workers. She says, safety is not our number one priority. And you can see people in the room thinking, what she means? She says, but we will always strive to be the best we can possibly be. Right. I think that was a really, really powerful quote because you know, I go to many conferences and, you know, the CEO always stands on stage saying normal safety is our number one priority and yet nobody in the room believes it. You know, you know, I think that is the thing with culture. We have to believe what's being said to us. And if we if we don't believe it, it just sends people backwards. Well, I think I think there is that idea, isn't it, that it will happen to, you know, one in a hundred. It will never happen to me. But out of curiosity, an impromptu question is how, when when you're confronted with those people, say, in the front row who aren't paying attention, how does that how does that make you feel? Yeah, I normally find people aren't paying attention or sit at the back anyway. So I always, right. after years of doing presentations, I, I, I gauge people as they walk in the room and where they sit. You know, I've already, I already sort of made my mind up. And it's not it's not always that people um are interested in safety they just probably don't want to listen to a, a terrible story because they may bring their own problems at the time and you know the, the last thing they need to hear is more doom and gloom so when I, when, I, when I very first started obviously I was very very raw you know it was such a traumatic time for me to share my story I was go, I was reliving it every day and it was very difficult and then when I ever got any any sort of confrontation the room or someone or nothing I take it really really personally right you know uh, and but today, like I say, <clears throat> I don't judge anybody in the room now because we don't actually know what's going off in their life. And I think it's getting away from people don't want to listen to the story more that there must be a reason why they don't want to listen to that story in that moment. So talking about the well-being, which we'll come on to, is, is I now gauge people who don't want to listen. Maybe they're going through some personal trauma at the moment. Maybe it's just a bad place for them to be. So I always give people the, the authority to walk out of the room. You know, if I... If you're not in a great place or I say anything that may, may offend you or you, you don't particularly want to listen to today, please feel free to walk out the room. And you give people, I, I think it's, it's breaking down um, these presentations because people just presume that's what it's going to be about. So I'm going to talk to you all about, about the surrenders experience. And I think any training should be, be like that. You know, we have to engage people to want to listen to the presentation, even if they particularly don't want to listen to it. Well, I think I think that's very very true because I in in doing research for for having you on the show today, I've listened to uh, you know I think you would call it what cyber stalking. I've been watching all of your talks and all of your presentations, Jason, uh, and some of them can be really emotional and very very hard to to get through right from the beginning right to the end because you 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 are probably the most honest and, and brutally down-to-earth um, health and safety speaker I've ever come across. So I, I can understand that. Um, my next topic would have really have been about, you know, your company work uh, and, and how you go across the world and, and you and you discuss um, discuss health and safety topics to, to workforces. Um, obviously, we've had the COVID-19 pandemic mm. and 
um, for me personally, I've seen a huge um, positive shift in attitudes towards health and safety since it's happened. Um, how would how would you uh, how do you feel about that statement? Because you're going to these companies and, and you're gauging a more first uh, first kind of hand experience. Yeah. Um, well, obviously the pandemic when, when it hit the first time, you know, obviously the the face space work just completely dried up. But obviously, you know, I was getting approached by companies who <clears throat> was going through a really bad time. You know, um, morale had dropped massively. So you, you had people who was furloughed, but then you had people who was who were still going to work. You know, and and but they was going to families, so they had double stress of a job. You know, the job wasn't the same. People, you know, less people at work. People, you know, being furloughed, and so there was definitely a shift. in, I think everybody was affected by the pandemic, whether they stayed at home, whether they got furloughed, whether they're still working as a key worker. Um, and I think what we was talking about for the couple of years prior to. Um, pandemic was, I, mean, I hate that word, but that's what it's called. Um, we was always sort of going down this road of trying to tie well-being to health and safety. And me in particular, with my presentation, I was I was sort of advised by quite a few people not to do it. That like what you're speaking about well-being for is part of health and safety. And if anything, the pandemic um, actually gave me opportunity to speak about it a lot more. So on all my online presentations, obviously we shifted straight away to online. It, you know, we, we did quite well through was quite busy through the pandemic actually you know a lot of time i was reaching out helping clients i spent a lot of time emails on the phone to to to, to good clients of mine asking do you want do you need any help you know there were some clients who, who took me up on offer to do some free pre, free presentations just to try and engage with the staff who were still working um but there's been a definite shift um you know I, you know, I'm a big believer. No matter how bad things are, you, you try and look for the, the small amount of positive that was in there. Because in in any any tragedy that happens, you know, however small it is, there's always a piece of positivity. And we have to sort of focus on that part. And that's how I sort of live my life today. And so what, that's what we did as a business. Now, what what can we shift? You know, so even now we're back doing face to face stuff, which is you know, which I love doing the best. It, I'm still doing quite a lot of virtual stuff as well because for some clients it really really works you know they've got um, a workforce that's split in different places so for some clients it really really works um, but for me it's been a really traumatic time for, for the majority of people in one way or another some people have lost family members some people have lost their jobs you know it's been traumatic for everybody um, and as we slowly come out of this on the other side I think people mm -hmm. actually realize that you know, our biggest fear was that when people came back into the workplace, they wouldn't be switched on. You know, it, it, it's like I always use the analogy, it's like a footballer who's broke his leg. You know, he's, 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 he's been on the sidelines for a bit, then he goes back into training, you know, right. leg work, all the, all the work. But he doesn't go and play a full game of football. You know, it, it, there's a period, of problem, a, a period of time that gets him back up to fitness. Okay. What's happened with the pandemic is people have been off for whatever reason, and then you're straight back to work pressing buttons like you've never been away for some people it could be two years so is there going to be a spike in accidents that was my biggest fear that we're, we're going to hit something we've made so much progress over the last decade now people are back in the workplace back on sites back on construction sites probably doing things they're not you know we haven't got the mental muscle to to quite remember how they do this job i mean 
I probably get my Matt Hazleton, who, who does a lot of speaking for us. He, he, you know, he's a great. He, he runs. He does presentations of his tragic accident that killed two of his family members and two friends. He's actually got his own groundworking company. You know, and he, he just said that he got into a digger one day, and for a split second, he just started thinking. You know, where where where's everything go? It wasn't. It, it was having to think about what he was doing. It wasn't that that memory muscle of just you know working a digger like he normally would. And I think that just demonstrates that people just need this time to reaccustom. And you know, I'm sure deadlines aren't gonna, deadlines on projects aren't going to give any leeway for how people are feeling at the moment. Deadline is a deadline, and that's it. So are people going to be pushed to get deadlines met when they're not physically, mentally fit at this moment in time, just to hit the high peaks of production? It's that adjustment period, isn't it? It's that adjustment period so, after being at home for. I, I can't even remember how long we were at home now for. It seemed like forever. Um, but I can imagine, I, I hadn't even thought about the, the implications of that kind of cooling off period for construction sites uh, workers. That must be, yes, uh, that must be horrendous. But on that topic, um, for, for the corporates now, so when you're being invited um, s since the pandemic to to kind of give these talks, give these seminars, um, do you feel more urgency in their requests because of the scrutiny health and health and safety has been under since uh, the pandemic and how and how, you know, however politically you, you're aligned, there have been um, uh, definitely some uh, insinuations that health and safety could have been improved. And therefore, since then, there has been this this general consensus that health and safety needs improvement. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the, what I'm hearing from, from the people who contact me, and the clients, is they're terrified. They're terrified something bad is going to happen. But they they feel that the the even the workers they've used for years and the, the subcontractors have used for years, they feel like things are feeling slightly different. There's a lot of been added pressures to a lot of the, you know to everybody. You know, not just the pandemic. Now we've got the you know the rising cost of raw materials pressures on, on, on deadlines is there seems to be a, a lot more weight put onto companies that's not just about safety you know it's just the morale you know as far as that the morale of their staff so a lot of companies are pretty scared at the moment hence why i'm really busy at the moment going to places just trying to try and get people back on track to where we were pre-pandemic because we, we, we was doing pretty well you know, and I think all the stats would support that. And, uh, you know, I saw there's been another fatality in fourth and right this week um, up in Scotland. Um, you know, you just feel so heartfelt for the families going through something. Someone's fell from high, you know, an accident similar to mine, but tried being killed. And then I feel that enormity of imagine that family going through all those things that my family went through and the friends. And it's, it's absolutely tragic. And, you know that that has always been the fear of the, this pandemic. That it's, is it going to take something serious, really serious, to happen? Is it going to take a real major accident to happen to reset where people are, or we're we just going to bumble forward, hoping for the best that it's not going to happen? So, sorry, just to confirm then. You think that where we were at prior to the pandemic was a a a growing, a steady a steady spot, but but growing. But you think that because of the the layoff almost of all the time away from the workplace in you know potentially extremely hazardous 
uh, sectors like the construction industry, that workers were left almost in a position where they were vulnerable. Absolutely. You know, when we say the progress we've made for the last 10 years, I mean, you know, I'll be quite, I'll probably be quite bold. I say, say we're probably back 10 years. We've, we've probably gone back 10 years. Um, just people burnt out, not feeling the same. You know, we talk about coming to work and concentrating on the job. People have got so much on their minds at the minute. You know, we can only concentrate on so many things, you know. If you imagine every day, I'll paraphrase some of Tim's material. Tim uses a pie chart, a pie represents an hour of your day. He suggests that if you're in a really, really good place, no outside influences, no problems from home, work for a good company with a good culture. As a psychologist, he says for about five minutes, your mind will just wander off. He calls it away from the theories. I don't know how PC about this today, but that's what he calls it. Um, so he suggests that, you know, that's when you that's when you're good place and for some companies that's a, that's as best it ever gets because because humans are humans but i think when you're in a bad place your mind can switch off the 20 25 minutes of every hour and i, I mean i'll challenge that even further i think the, the the problems that some people are going through at the moment you know you, you can switch off for half an hour every hour of your day your mind's not concentrating on the task you are doing and if you're uh you know if you're working in a high risk area and we'll use we we'll use construction that's all, all about construction we'll use construction as an example if you're a if you're a banksman and your mind's not on the job is that a, is that a wonder you could be highly trained you could be highly highly skilled you can have all the equipment you're wearing the right ppe you've been on the train courses but in that moment if your mind's not concentrating on what you're doing could that explain why you miss the person who walks in the in the bad area you know the, so I think we have to look at more than, and I think, I don't think people have gone back as in the attitude towards safety. I just think that the, the mind is so occupied with outside influence. Now we've got all the troubles that are going on in the world as well, that people all talk about, we sit on TV all the time. So we fill our head with more and more stuff. So, you know, it, it goes back to what you know, the company me and Tim got at the moment to try and help people clear their minds a little bit and, you know, that's why culture of the company is so good. If you're having a bad time at home and a bad time at work, then you're drinking too much on a weekend and it escalates and right. then you quit to work the next, mo- the next Monday and you're in a bad mood because you fell out with a wife or the kids or you've got money problems, you've seen things on TV, you come to work in this high-risk arena, high-risk area. So again, you know, I always, you know, we usually think, uh, we use some fatalities on the train line where they look at Mr. Train, you think, how would you miss a train? But the lookout has actually missed the train. He's not seen it because his mind's on other things. And I think it, it just demonstrates how how complex the mind is when, when we talk about health and safety. And- Sorry, I'm just going to say on that because I think what I'm getting from you is is that the biggest kind of takeaway from the pandemic is that you know in whatever sector you're in, the biggest uh, effect that we had was that on maybe the mind and mental health and well-being. And I think that is probably criminally um, under undervalued. The impact of negativity can have on 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 well-being and mind. And you know, would you say that that's probably the biggest takeaway coming out of the COVID nineteen pandemic? Me personally, me personally, yes. You know, it, you know, as I say, when, when when you look for something positive that's come out of the pandemic, it's really pushed what we've been speaking about for the last sort of four or five years to the forefront. That you know. We, we take it stage further. I believe we should talk about well-being, health, and safety. That's my personal view. Right. 
it should be well-being should be fundamental to how your people come to work and that, how you work people go back to culture you know that that's what this is all about that's one of the manager spots that someone else is struggling in the workplace or a worker notices his manager is struggling in the workplace you know it's, it, it goes all through the company you know i think this is this is probably the, the most positive thing we can take from this that the old arena of mental health and not just is a separate issue it's health safety well as i say well-being health and safety and the more we can get companies to appreciate that you know when, when I do my presentations today, and that's what it is, it's a well-being, health and safety presentation. I give them a safety story for half an hour, go through all the trauma my accident, and then look at how my well-being maybe influenced what I did. And we leave the room and no longer do we get Q&A sessions talking about safety. All the questions afterwards are around mental health, mental well-being, people struggling in the workplace. So I know that what we talk about today is key. Um, but goes back to then what do companies do with that knowledge? So my whole role in my company now is I go out doing the presentation. People say, what can we do next? And I introduce them to Tim because here's what we can do. You know, we can help you move forward by. It's human error, human error more than safety. Why, why do just people make mistakes? And that could be about production, could be about quality, absenteeism, presenteeism. You know, I think. I'm not a massive stats person, by the way, but I brought a couple of stats into a presentation because it, it just demonstrates, I think, the most up-to-date, what I've seen was about 2018-2019, the cost of health and safety on, on the UK economy. I think it was around 16 billion, which is a, a massive amount of money, hence why companies spend vast amounts of money to promote health and safety with their companies. Mm. I think Deloitte did a, a study in 2020, the effect, you know, the cost of mental health in the workplace, 46 billion. So it just dwarfs it. And I think nearly half of that is presentation. Actually, fundamentally, what we're talking about, people actually going to work not in a great place. So how much good work do you get out of somebody who's not in a good place? Yeah, he'll turn up and probably do his shift for eight or 10 hours or even 12 hours. But how much quality work does it actually do for you? What's it actually costing you as a business? So how how would you say then, because that, that's a very big, did you say 46 billion? On, 46 on, billion. So out of curiosity, how would you say then that we tackle the issue of well-being in the workplace? Um, uh, I I do not like some of the phrases. I just think because it becomes that they become that poster phrase, and people get oh, this is another campaign. But you know, it, it's breaking the stigma. You know, but believe it or not, I've only been openly speaking about my anxiety issues for the last year. I've mentioned it before, and I'll give some pointers to it. But I'm really open with my family. You know, I'm open with everybody I speak to. It drops in the conversation quite quickly. But my anxiety, but I still battle every day. But since I've been speaking about it, it's made it a lot easier. Um, I seem not to be struggling as much because I'm more open. I think with any kind of mental health issue, hiding it is most is the most hardest thing. So for me, it's creating it. It's just dropped in the conversation like a normal part of any other conversation. And when people just say, you know, I'm struggling today, we can help people. It's not about having time off work. It's probably the opposite because Especially again, we use construction as an example. In construction, you can't afford to have time off work. You know, we know we know that construction has got a really bad reputation for a high proportion of suicides. You know, within the, within the working population. But I don't think it's 
necessarily means that if you work in construction, you're gonna kill yourself. I just think the high the high pressure in construction, you know, the, the subcontractors, you know, you get you go to work in a bad place, you know. I think if you look at the, the amount of the population who spend time off work with mental health issues, it, it, it's normally HR, uh, teachers, um, because they get paid. They're on salaries. Right. So when they're having a bad day, they can they can have that time off, which is absolutely crucial for some people to have a bit of time away. But when you're working on a construction site, you know if you're not there tomorrow, your job's gone, someone else has got your job. So there, you haven't got the time to say that you're struggling. Um, however, I still do believe that just by speaking about it, so even if you're having a bad day and you've got to go to work, just by speaking, you're having a bad day and it becomes that normal conversation. And right. what what the, the sort of evidence from me, I'll give to you that, that, you know, I speak about this well-being topic in my presentations and guys just come to me afterwards and open up to me. I had a guy, um, I mean, yesterday came up to me after a presentation. He, he was asking me about what I did for, you know, help me get in my daily battles with my anxiety. Um, and I essentially wanted to tell something. I said, so, so what's your story? So I haven't got one. And I said, well, you know, is there anything you'd like to discuss? And obviously you, you give him that space where it's okay to speak up. He said he had a constant fear of dying. So it started six years ago, out of the blue. He's lived a pretty normal life, you never know, stalked with his mental health. And six years ago, started this dread of Christmas that he was going to die. It was fear of dying. And he says, I, I, I've really struggled. And he said, I said, well, who have you spoke to? He said, you. <laughs> he said, you are it. You are the first person I've opened up to. And I said, well, you know, how do you feel? He said, well, actually, I feel a lot better if I actually spoke about it. And I think, for me, that's where we need these conversations are going, because I think everybody is struggling to some degree. You know, it, 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 it should just be a normal conversation. So yes. how can we help we facilitate that? You know, my, I, I sometimes wonder, I mean, Sean Tooney, who works for me, he's got his own suicide, so he tried to commit suicide when he was 17, and he talks about how that had affected his life and his work life, sort of hiding it. Um, but then you get some people can be sort of put off a little bit with a suicide sword because they think, well, I'm having a bit of a bad day, but I'm not in that place. So maybe I feel a little bit guilty feeling like I'm in a bad place. So we have to be very, very careful about mental health. And I call it mental well-being. People just having a bad day for whatever reason, you know, a marriage issue or debt, or it could be something pretty small to other people, but to them, it's a huge part, you know, it's a huge problem. So Getting back to the question, what can we do more? I just think we we, we have to we have to normalise this conversation. That it's not even a you know a special topic. It's just a normal conversation to have. You talk about the football. You talk about we don't have a weekend, the golfing, the, the thing. Oh, actually, I've had a bad weekend this week. It should just be a normal conversation that fits into the normal day-to-day -day conversations. You know, we all we are that we are the best individuals when we're asked the question. Or you can put it on repeat, you can record the answer. So actually, if you're okay, yeah, I'm fine. It's the, yes. it's, it's the default answer, you know. You could on a recording on the phone, and someone actually just play recording, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, if someone texts you to the one side and asks you again, you don't seem fine, you're really, really fine. You tend to see people then open up. It, it, it's quite bizarre. We all open up after a little bit of prodding. But, you know, when, when we ask a question as a manager, do we really want to hear that someone's struggling or do you want to hear people say, I'm fine? Well, at least I ask the question and then walk away. Well, the thing is, I think that's that's why you're so important in what you do, Jason, because what you do is you you give people a platform 
to open up because you open up so kind of bluntly in front of them that uh, people have that that they feel almost that that weight where they're like, okay, I, I can talk to someone else who's maybe shared something similar. Um, and do 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 you feel like that? That's what you what you can achieve regularly when you talk to people because you talk then about that really emotional story you had back. I, I, I really hope so. I, I hope I create that moment, as I, as I mentioned in the previous one of the previous questions. I, I feel I do create that moment. You know, I, I think I'm 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 pretty. After all the years of doing it, I think I'm pretty good at open, you know opening that moment. But as I, as I fundamentally say, unless companies are prepared to do something with that moment, with the moment, yeah. What 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 do you do next? What are you going to do next? Because if you do nothing next, with it, it will be that moment. And I say for some, it will last probably for might be last forever. But for the majority of people, it's just a period of time before they put it to the back of mind because they've got so much else going on. That, you know, we can only, it's like a bucket up there, isn't it? We can only keep so much in that bucket. And as, as new stuff comes in, unfortunately, other stuff gets kicked out of the bucket. But it, I mean, I always like going back and doing presentations, you know, a, a year later or a couple of years later, and people sort of remember the story a little bit. But in that moment, what you've actually done, you, you've reconnected them, them pathways in the brain and they, they feel the emotion of the story again. Um, so it's always there. It's how do we how do we get the most out of something? So, you know, I, I'm a strong believer. There's no magic bullet. I'm definitely not a magic bullet. I've never claimed to be a magic bullet. I can create a moment. You know, uh, I feel now that what we talk about, the well-being, the health and the safety, it creates that bigger moment where people go, actually, I, I start to understand why I did what I did. I mean, I, I, I say quite quite candidly now, you know, I'm down my accident, I was let down. Without doubt, it was a rush job. There was no procedures. <clears throat> was under pressure. It was a two-hour job. We had an hour to get it done. All those, all those factors was there that what caused my accident. And I, I sat in presentations. You know, even the, in the early years, I was speaking about speaking up. Is the answer to it? You know, we must speak up when there's anything unsafe and speak up and report. And but fundamentally, back my thinking, but I didn't do that. You know, I stopped. I thought about it. I then realised it was unsafe, and I still did it. And it was only the understanding from Tim, looking at why we, when we're in a bad place, we become more fatalistic. Right. You know, I think that is the key to a lot of people. And when I speak about this, and I ask people on a scale where our fatalistic, we call it the FI moment. Um, it's called about fatalism intolerance, but my FI scale is, is not called fatalism intolerance. As you can imagine, it's, it's effort. You know, it, it, it hits the mark with people because. When you're in that fatalistic mood, you know, you, you might know you had training, you might know you've had this, you might know you've got the right equipment, but if you're feeling fatalistic because you've got a bad marriage or you go through it and you just can't be bothered, is that the reason when people are still choosing to work on safely? So I do think that becomes that choice. So the possibilities that could lead people to, even for five seconds, be unsafe in their practice could be quite honestly related to something that happened two weeks ago from a bad Sunday. Yeah. Now that, you know, when, when you think about it like that, that is... Um, on my um, fully painted painted FI scale, which I use on the presentations, because from one, from zero up to ten, obviously, um, I even say if you, even for the majority of people, the FI score always hovers about one anyway, because you've come to work with some kind of issue from somewhere if it's a fallout with you know whatever's happened um 
And then you get to number five, and most people are admitting to me that's where they spend most of the time. And it's quite frightening, really, that most people are, are confident to admit that I mean, like their act score is around the five mark every day. It's, it, it's quite scary. Um, on Delmax, I was number 10. And I, I'd say number 10 can be when you had a bad time at home and a bad time in work. Um, I was having a bad time in work, and I was at five on a regular basis. Um, what well, really kicked me over into a 10 on that particular day? Uh, Nottingham Forest. And people always laugh, well, what's Nottingham Forest in my football team? What's that got to do with being in a bad mood? I said, well, I was in a bad mood anyway at work. I didn't want to be there. Well, that particular day, we were supposed to be playing football in the FA Cup, and I had to go to work. And it put me in such a bad mood. So when we talk about what can make you have a good day or a bad day, we can, we can talk about a bad company, a bad boss, or things aren't right. But for some people, it can be something that other people feel really small. How can that? Because we're all, we're all, you know, we're all human beings. We've all got things that make us tick in a day. And if all of a sudden you're in a bad mood anyway, when you have a fallout with a boss, again, are these these triggers that form this fatalistic attitude that you're just going to go, ah, oh, just get it done? Um, and we all know the majority of the time you get away with it. Right. Nothing happens. And then that's what keeps you going down that path. And then, you know, the companies don't think, oh, you know, some companies measure KPIs. I understand the importance of these things, Keith. I understand why they're doing, but if that's what you're relying on to show you've got a good culture, then you're far away from where you really are because you may have 100 guys on your side, all this fatalist attitude, all at number five or even higher on the FI score, working, 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 and just getting away with it, taking shortcut after shortcut to keep up with production, to keep up with these targets. And that's why some companies are saying, you know, the, the triangle, we've had nothing, we've had nothing to show with was going to an accident, and all of a sudden they had a major accident, and they can't understand why. And yet, if you looked at the FI scores of these guys for the last six months, and the guys are struggling with arguments at work, or is it about culture, or is there's stuff coming from home, is there an, and again, a lot of companies say, but we pay our guys really well, as if money, I, I, again, without naming companies, I went to a project where guys are working 12 hour shifts, it's days and night shifts, um, they're getting very little time at home. And I went to the car park, do a night shift, in the car park are BMWs, brand new Audis, all top of range cars. You go in the canteen to speak to the guys, and you can see these guys are not, not in a bad place, but just shattered. You know, they're so tired. And you, you think so? This for me is the the start of leading up to an accident where you know the guys are getting paid well. We've got it's not always about money, is it? It's about loving the job you're doing. You know, we can't all leave school and say we're doing the dream job we dreamed of when we were 16 when we left school. But companies can create the right culture and the right environment. People enjoy love the job they're doing at this moment. You know, there's that great. Um, story from JFK when he visited NASA in the, in the 60s or early 70s and he, he saw a janitor sweeping up and he asked the janitor what was he doing and the janitor just replied I'm helping people on the moon because he knew, he knew his role in that company so that company had a really really good culture where everybody in that team feel valued and was part of that team that was putting people on the moon but I go visit our construction sites where the guys you know the laborers doing the sweeping up do not have that same um, attitude that they have that we're building this building together. You know, they're just they're just labourers. They feel bandy all the time. You know, they're going home and sleeping in accommodation sometimes away from home, away from the families, sleeping in accommodation with three or four, five, six of the guys. 
and then they wonder why they're coming to work. So how much discretion have they gave? So I think the reason I talk so passionate about this is it was like, do you have a light bulb moment in your life? I've been speaking now for 13 years. I think the light bulb moment for me happened about a year ago when I suddenly realised that this wellbeing thing, you know, even the, even the stuff I've been talking about didn't quite click in my mind till that suddenly I found out day. But that's what drove me to do what I did that day. Why did I have such a fatalist attitude or dare my accent where I just thought, oh, just F it, just get it done. What was the point of speaking up? Just get up with that and get the job done, get home. And my, my, my reason behind this is, you know, people say there's no case studies to, to, to link wellbeing to, to health and safety. I, I think, well, use my, use my story as a case study from 30 years ago, before we even really thought, you know, we talk so much about wellbeing today. 30 years ago, it was barely mentioned. If at all, and yeah, do do you did you feel pressured that day to do it? Did you feel an outside pressure that if you said no, there would be a problem? Yeah, like I said, like I said, I think that was that was probably for the first sort of eight or nine, ten years of my presentation. That would probably be the bit I always use. Yeah, the pressure on me. I've been very redundant. My father gave me a job. There's a lot of pressure for me speaking of getting the job done. And I, I, I think they obviously they all played a part without without a doubt. They they was all key for me making that decision. But fundamentally, I believe my well-being was an overriding factor. And I, I, again, going back 30 years, we didn't really speak about mental health back then. It wasn't really talked about. But the sad thing about my accident was, when did people speak up or start talking about my problems, death, my accident? That's when the other workers then start coming forward. I think he's struggling with his marriage. I think he's drinking too much. He's had days off work. Some days he's not present on site. He's here, but he's not really doing his job. Nobody spoke about that till the day after my accident. Right, so it's too late. It's too late. So again, that's why I'm so, I hate the word passionate because I think it gets used so much. You know, I go and say, I'm really passionate about this. But I am because it's like my awakening. You know, right. what do I need to I need to highlight this as much as I possibly can, you know. But now we've got the substance behind it where we you know obviously working with Tim, we've got the, the authority behind it to say to come, is this what you need to do? I think right come here the same I focus on safety. Of course we can't, it's such a it's such a big statement, but you know I can remember meeting first meeting with Tim all those years ago when he, he said we've done safety and I was thinking I was like taken aback by his statement. I, I don't understand what you mean, Tim. He said, look, let's create a good culture to come to work. Let's give the guys the right training. Let's give the guys good pay. Let's give the guys these things. He says, if we can do all these things and create the right culture as a byproduct of it, and especially look at people's well-being, how they come to work, how they leave work. You know, I don't think it's acceptable anymore for a company to say, we must provide all this health and safety so people go home in the same way they arrived. I don't think that's enough anymore. We need to create an environment where people come to work, probably with problems from home, but they have a really, really good day at work where they feel valued, where they feel part of the team, and they could actually go home better than they arrived. And I think for me, that is the bar we need to be raising to. Create the right culture where that, because you know, I still go into a lot of companies and you just sense the culture is not right. Right. Yeah. And how 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 do how do we go about convincing companies that we need to ensure that employees exit the door better than the way they entered it? Um, 
or is that an answer that you can't really give because it's? Well, a- I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give my answer because I fundamentally, I think, you know, companies need to make money. Companies exist by making money. You know, oh, we have to get the jobs done so we put pressure on the guys getting a job because we need a job doing. Let's look at this from a, from a from a different aspect. You know, I I talk about the well-being on the presentations and. I have a little slide now, a little dig at some of the, some of the people's like doing that. And I, you know, confrontational. I was have some pictures, some, some pictures of a load of managers rubbing their hands like that, saying, "Oh, all this well-being sounds absolutely fantastic, but actually, you know, customers, because it, it always comes down to cost." And again, using the um, the, the the study done by Deloitte in 2020, they suggest that every one pound you invest in good mental health, the returns were about five pound. In better productivity, quality, less absenteeism, less presenteeism. So if every one pound you actually invest in mental health, you get five pound back. So what's the cost of not doing it? Forty-six billion pound a year. Right. So where you know the figures are, but, you know, obviously the cost is one, but surely having a happy workforce who are contented, coming to work in a really, really good way, is going to be more beneficial for you for profit and for safety. Yeah, it, for me, it goes hand in hand, and it, it, it's one of those things where these things that you know, things that you know, you know. So people know about safety, you know why we should do it, and then these things that you, that you know that you don't know, like you know people fly planes, but you don't know how to do it, and there's this vast area where you don't know what you don't know. The unknown, I, unknown. The unknown, and I think that's probably where we're sitting as a company with me, with me and Tim, because people don't actually realise the importance of well-being into safety you know is it health and safety or is it well-being health and safety and i think until we take this holistic approach to it all we're always going to get what we've always got you know uh, and uh, you're probably aware of all this all in to- toby you, you see another you see another campaign done with a, a jazzy jazzy logo and some extra buzzwords around it but fundamentally it's exactly the same what we've always been doing there's nothing different in there it's just different terminology, different way of looking at it, but fundamentally it's exactly the same as what we've always done. And for me, if we've always done it in a certain way, we're always going to get the same results. We've got to do something different. And for me, for somebody who is struggling, and again, without, without going too much into things that happened, but we, we was presented only two weeks ago, and obviously we talked about the mental health, and a guy came up, was, um, I'd say mid-50s, he showed us his arms, there was cuts on his arms, they've been self-harming. Then he actually said to us, um, well, one year ago, I've really, really struggled with mental health really, really badly. He said, one year ago, I actually came to work with the intention of hanging myself off one of the cranes. And I was sort of, and he said, well, what that said to me today is for the first time I've realised I need to share my story of what I did. And yeah, and unfortunately, we couldn't stay to the end of the presentation, but we went back the next day and the manager said, was, you won't believe what happened yesterday after your presentation. He said, not only as he come speaking to you, I saw him speaking to you, he said, um, at the end of the session, he just stood up in front of his peers and shared his story. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I spoke to him talking about it because it was, for me, if, if I, by me sharing my story, if I've achieved for that guy then to share his story with somebody else. That's fantastic. And that's normalising that conversation. You know, just, and I would imagine that other people then would open up about how they were feeling. Um, 
what positives can companies take from that? Well, for the first time, they said, yeah, we probably need to give this guy a little bit more support. We, we didn't know this. So straight away, that guy's been at work since he's not, not on a day off. He's, he's come to work every day in that mindset. So right. what was he given at work? You know, how much extra effort was he given for the company? He was probably going to work doing just enough for his wage every week because he, he was in such a bad place. So that's that's where we need to be. And companies have to recognise that getting guys to work on extra shifts on weekends because the project's behind. And I understand all these things with deadlines, I do, but to take a step back from it sometimes and just now have a stand down and go, where is everybody today? And if you find out most of your staff are at number five on the effort scale, chucking extra hours at these guys, so not only have you ruined the week, you now get them on a Saturday. And on the Saturday, we were supposed to take their son to the football. So you might be paying an extra £200 to go on a Saturday, well, that's caused loads of problems for this guy in his home life. So now he's run this Saturday with his son, probably felt with his partner, and he's back at work on a Monday morning with a load of anger issues around his weekend being ruined. Um, but again, it falls into this area where companies don't know what this is going off. All they know is the guy's been to work, we've not had an accident, aren't we doing aren't we fantastic? What a great place to work. But the workforce are saying, no, we, it doesn't feel like that to us. It's where quantumists work, we're getting pushed here, we're getting pushed right. there. And then the guys on the stage, and we get a free breakfast because we've done very well this year, or you know, a token. You're very, very right, and I think what you do starts that conversation off. You, you, and I'm like, this is this is why we had to have you on, Jason, because I think, like I said, what you do starts off that conversation. It makes the invisible visible, and as long as you can keep doing that, I think you're 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 so so important to that to that cause. Um, but if we could transition. Uh, into the last segment into into construction um an important question really because i have to ask myself this every day whenever you know i talk to uh, construction workers really and it's how hazardous really in a, in a general sense I, I understand um is is the construction industry it, it is isn't it? it just it just it just it just stays by what the jobs are doing, the tasks they're doing, the deadlines. You know, I'm with some clients now. Um, they're speeding the ground to operational. These vast where these vast um, warehouses is 62 weeks. Do you think how how are they getting these places built in such such speed, speedy times? And they've got a good system. Um, you know, they're building a lot of these warehouses now, and it, it seem to hit the right formula. But again. Do you, do you feel pressured to do what you're doing, to cut a few corners, to keep these deadlines intact? And I think fundamentally construction's always been about deadlines and, and targets. And, you know, in the best will of the world, there's been some projects I've been working on and, you know, things have been going great, everything's going well. And then someone will come in and cut the project, you know, cut the deadline by three weeks. But the guys are working to such tight deadlines anyway it's been cut you know the deadline's been cut by three weeks now if you're telling me that guys are working all the hours they can possibly work um, there's no other equipment can be brought on site to speed the job up they took a few more men at the project maybe but if you're telling me the project's got to be done three weeks quicker or, or three months quicker what is the only thing that's going to give it's safety 
Mm. And people know that. So once these unwritten rules come in, and Tim Tim uses a really fantastic phrase. I love stealing things from him. He says, uh, "Well, you know, sometimes it's the unwritten, it's the unwritten word into it, or what's been said but not not been said." So if I said to you, um, "This job needs doing, this job needs doing safely by Friday," what what have I implied? But then I say to you, "This job needs doing by Friday, but I'm doing it safely." I've implied something completely differently. And sometimes I think managers can be quite cute and clever by not saying do it the wrong way, but not giving it, you know, not it's just impossible to do it the right way. Mm. So facing that facing that situation, if you are a subcontractor who's who's probably, you know, he's probably thinking, I've got I've got 50 guys on this project, and if I don't get this job done by Friday, potentially my my 50 guys not in work next week so what i'm going to do i'm going to put pressure on my guys and then they put pressure on the supervisor and put pressure on these guys so all of a sudden you've got a guy at the shop face who's, who's got pressure from everywhere knowing he should speak or knowing he should do the right thing but in that moment thinking oh, i'm going to get it done then we're going to throw in what i've been talking about all that mental health stuff if that guy's then struggling himself I ain't got time to speak, or I know I should speak, or I'm not speak up. And then when it all goes wrong, and we have the investigation, why have you done what you've done? If you've done that wrong, then maybe maybe give a guy a yellow card or even a red card because he's the guy who's done the thing. And yet you can see the chain of events has gone all the way back to the fundamental issue. We 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 squeeze the project times by three months. So again, as construction changed, I don't think it has. I think construction is very competitive. Um, you've got a lot of companies working on massive budgets for small margins of profit. Um, there's a huge um, disparity in what sort of wages our people are earning, you know, from the skilled skilled people in the lottery to, to the agency labourers who are particularly earning that much money. It could be on basic hours, you know, basic basic pay. So, yeah, construction is always going to be a um, one of those melting pots where we're always going to have issues just for the nature of what people do. When you, go, when you visit a construction site and you see what's actually going up in the construction site, you start to understand why things are happening. I personally suffer from um, terrible height fears. And I, when I walk past a construction site and I just do this, I find myself just overwhelmed from the ground. Uh, so I, I, I get scared just walking past it. But how would you say, and I know we've alluded to this about the, the FI scale, and I think it's a fantastic idea what, what, what you're talking about there with the mental health and what well-being, as you would like to call it. Um, how would you say it is on a construction site, including, of course, time restraints, budget constraints? How easy is it for someone just to cut a little corner? just to take a little easy shortcut. And how could that snowball? How can that easily get out of hand? Uh, <laughs> because once you take a shortcut, and we all know that you take a shortcut and it, inadvertently it always works. So you take that small, tiny little shortcut and you've got away with it and nothing's happened and it saved you five minutes. Right. Do you stop there? Do you stop there? The answer is no. Then the next thing you know, you'll take another small shortcut. I don't think people go from um, working safe to working unsafe. I don't think that ever happens. You don't just go, that's the way to do it. Let's do it like this. It doesn't happen like that. Every period of time, they go, we'll take this shortcut. Oh, we can save them a couple of minutes there. We'll do this. We'll do that. 
I always say to, to, to when I'm speaking, sometimes I'm doing a presentation, especially in construction, if you could look at yourself where you, when you started this project on day one, you went to all the safety briefs of how this job was going to run, and you look at yourself a year later, how far have you come from that initial meeting on safety? And the guys will all admit they're over here somewhere. And it didn't just happen. I think you're exactly right, Toby. It's these little, tiny, little, tiny shortcuts can nip through that way. If we can walk this, we could use that piece of equipment instead of that piece of equipment. So it saves us that little bit of time. And we all know it always takes the, the, the accident to, to have a reset. And all of a sudden, that's why a lot of companies are getting in. We had a fourth mite issues, about three near misses, fourth mites, get you in just to reset people. Right. That's how some people just look at it as a reset. And then a year later, oh, Jay, we've got problems again. Could you come get talk again to these guys? And you know, instead of looking at why, what, what it is that fundamentally is making these guys, what, making somebody take that shortcut. Because it is human nature. It's, it's part of who we are as, as a species. We always look for the, the quickest route. I mean, I, I, it's a daft it's story, but fundamentally, I, I told myself afterwards, as you've just done exactly what you tell people not to do. So I went to the Orkneys um, last week. I was speaking to, uh, it's a great little collective. Uh, it's all for the small companies. They get me there once a year. Um, I don't really charge. Um, and it's all the collective, all the little companies get together and get me over there and I'm going to speak. And, I'd done some presentations and I was going home the next morning. I had no cash on me for the taxes. So between the session, I'll nip to a bank. So I got my got my phone out and looked where the bank was. So I, I wheeled down the road and got to the bank, drew my 20 pound bank to pay for the taxi. And on the way back, I actually spotted um, a little alleyway. And I thought to myself, oh, I could nip down that alleyway and save myself a couple of minutes by walking on the smooth, pushing on the smooth path that led me around the block. If I cut down this alleyway, I can save myself pushing around the corner which I did, um, got down half the path, it turned to gravel. So I, I could have turned around and gone, oh, I can't go there. No, well, I'll, I'll try. I tipped out my chair down this alleyway with no one there. Just laid in this alleyway thinking, what the hell am I going to do? And I think that is somebody who, who, who lives and breathes health, safety and well-being will admit on that occasion I still look for the shortcut because I think that's in all of us to, to, to know. So, how do we protect against that? I mean, I learned a valuable lesson. I thought, that's it, Jace. Don't go down no more alleyways. You, you, you normally always take the long route, and all of a sudden, over a period of time, you just drifted back again. And I think that is a danger with safety. We we drift back. So what can we do to make sure we drift forward and not drift back? Hence, what I talked about is it's why we always look for the next thing, just to 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 itch that story along a little bit. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? So instead of saying we're great, safety is brilliant in this company, we've cracked it. No, you need to always be looking what's next and what's next and what's next. What's so, the next yeah. shortcut? So yeah. inch forward, don't inch back. You know, I, 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 I like saying, I like talking, so I always think that. And I think I'll use that. God, we need to inch forward, not inch back. Because right. if we if we do nothing. We start going backwards again, you know, and hence the talk about what we've been through, how far we actually gone back in safety in the in the in the UK since pandemic. You know, I'll be quite blunt. I said probably about ten years, unless mm. we do something. I'm not saying we're back to get ten years to get back, but if we if we actually said where are where are our sites at the moment? What's your what's the culture on the site? I think a lot of companies will admit secretly we're way back here again. But what can we do? I don't think we need to do massive things. I just think we need to do something. Hence the well-being stuff to bring people from back here back to where it was, and then start looking how we can go forward again. 
Well, I think it's very, very interesting that you're talking about that because my next question was going to be regarding the construction industry and regarding health and safety in the industry. Would you categorise that the construction industry is the most dependent industry on health and safety? You know, whether it be training, whether it be, you know, the, the reliance on ensuring employee well-being. Um, what, what's your opinion on that? Um, again, I think historically, I, I said, yeah, construction is the worst, but obviously, because now I, I, I don't just deal in construction, I work in all industries, it's, it's not a story of falling off a ladder anymore. In fact, my story calls is not about the fall, and I speak to various, cons, you know, various industries, from the railway to the shipbuilding, to, and I think the similarities are all exactly the same, you know, it, it's that push, push, contractors, subcontractors, there's a deadline. Anywhere there's a deadline, there's always that um, that um, appetite to take a few shortcuts, you know, to get ahead of yourself. And if you're taking a few shortcuts early on, just get ahead of ourselves where we need to be. Then we can relax a little bit. So I think there's always going to be that appetite to take a chance because the reward is instant, isn't it? You know, I get instant reward. I've saved myself five minutes or we we beat the traffic. You know, I work, I work when I work in London to get away for these guys on a Friday on the M25. They can get away for two o'clock. We probably aim for five. But if they leave at five, we probably aim for 11. So there's always that temptation just to take a few shortcuts to do it. So, yeah, it, it, it's how we break that chain. So, obviously, construction is one that's really because it's, it, it, you know, it, it, it's such a transient workforce. You know, guys are working on one project. You've got companies who are trying to build a safety culture, and yet the majority of their workforce is subcontract. So how can you know we've got such a small actual staff of their own, yet they try and build a safety culture with guys who, who don't probably know who they're working for on the site, fitting bathrooms for for two weeks, then on another site. So how 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 can companies create that culture? You know, we've, you know, we've come from a place of family companies and their own staff after 30 years to, 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 especially in construction where you've got guys, you don't know who they are. It's, it's probably the cheapest price in a lot of times. Why is a guy on the site? Because it's the, the best, cheapest, you know, the most competitive quote. That's sort of the safety company to work for. So, you know, there's a lot, lot to be done. You know, I do know a few, few companies who are trying to get their own staff again. We've realised that subcontract is not always the best. It might be uh, financially attractive on paper, but maybe in the long term, getting staff who've worked for you for a long time and educating those so they can, you know, they know who they're working for. You know, it's it's always nice to feel appreciated, but if you don't know who you're working for, you never get that, that pat on the back to make you feel good on a Friday afternoon. You're just going to be sent home as another contractor. So I think there's, there's, there's a hell of a hell of a lot more we can do, especially in construction, mm. where we make people feel valued. Well, it's interesting because I, I'm sometimes shocked at the level of fatalities, especially in the UK, uh, that we have year on year in, uh, in, in, in the construction industry. And it's, it's, it's horrible. It's devastating. And I always, I always ponder that question myself. How can we positively influence that number so it can go down gradually? It's not going to be an overnight thing. Everyone knows that, you know, it's that magic bullet effect we were talking about previously. It's not, it's, it, you know, that's impossible. Um, it would have been done by now if that was the case. But, you know, in terms of the risks and the hazards on the construction site, 
you know, out of curiosity, what, what what would you say would be, you know, what are the most common? What 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 are the ones that maybe are slipping through, you know, the net that people are kind of, you know, missing or or maybe overlooking? Yeah, um, we'll go back to working at height. Working at height, especially. I, uh, um, like I said, I don't really do a work height presentation. I, I've got one. Um, you know, when when a specialist firm comes in, so I've, I've got this working height presentation, and to tell the truth, I probably do it about three four times a year when when people physically ask about working height presentation <clears throat> but i'm getting a lot more inquiries at the moment about working at height so it's, again it, it seems like the all the thing all the good practice we've had around working at high in particular maybe has been lost a little bit because people are back at work i've mentioned before we're not as confident we're not as uh, refreshed but all things going off is that why working high seems to be an issue um you know, a client recently, um, three in the last three months, serious near miss of working at heights. He says, we, we thought we'd, we thought we'd crack this. We thought this is one of those things was we'd, we'd made so much progress on, yet now we're just seeing, seeing it come back. So it's always going to be one for me, obviously, that's why I did work at height still seems to be, because we all know you fall from a height, I would say, I mean, fall from any height, there's always an injury, whether it's instant or long-term. I've not met anybody yet who's fell off a ladder and suffered no injuries whatsoever. You know, most of us said I got a wave at the time, but 30 years later, now my hips playing up or my legs playing up. It, it, it's, it's a long one. So, so working out it's always been the one for me um, because the, you know, it, it happens. And normally when someone falls from heights, the injuries are normally quite significant. And and if you don't mind me bringing up, I, I remember uh, looking, I think, at one of your um, Proud to be Safe videos. And um, one of the most touching moments in that was the fact that your son, who who, who went up the ladder, um, and he said he had that stigma before he went up that ladder. And and I and I I I, I it's absolutely you know when when you think about it like that. Um, but working at height definitely, I think, is one of those is one of those areas where risk is so adverse. One more question from me, Jason. You've been incredibly uh, you've been incredibly generous with your time. And it was just going to be regarding the construction industry. And we've talked about the well-being. And we've talked about, you know, the FI scale, that I think, is a fantastic, um, uh, you know, invention in the monitoring the well-being of staff. How important then is everything around that? So we're talking about the, the well-being and the training, because, of course, when you're when when you're at a construction site, we are talking about what CDM in 2015 in practice um something from you know the nebosch uh constructions management certificate um how important is that in comparison would you say to that of well um well you know <clears throat> it's hard one for me because i i, I do not obviously we, we there is always going to be a need for health and trade health and safety training always and it's ongoing it's having a change um for me the inclusion of well-being into health and safety training is fundamentally important it's it's the most important thing i think people are slowly so realizing i mean that's why i say it. I mean, I'm, I'm learning myself all the time don't say health safety and well-being so well-being health and safety and actually i was quite amazed actually somebody in my linkedin area has changed his title to wsh I think it's amazing. He's actually realised, yeah, there's more to this thing. So, 
the quality of health and safety training is absolutely important. You know, doing health and safety to tick a box and then just enough. And a question that's been raised quite a bit, man, and I don't understand why, I don't understand why, um, is how much it's going to cost. Now, I normally have a conversation with my clients. We talk about what I'm going to do, all the, all the things I'm going to do. And at the end, they say how much. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I appreciate there's a financial. But if that's the first question people ask me, how much is it going to cost? And I say, well, how much is it going to cost you if I don't do this? That's my question. So, what is the cost? The cost is, is going to you not having an accident. The cost is sending your workers home every single day. Probably, hopefully, in a better place than they arrived. Creating that, spending that money so that people have a, a good canteen, there's decent uh, wash facilities, you know, there's soap in the washrooms, there's toilet paper. All these little things create that culture. So, just by spending a bit of money on a speaker or some training, and then yet not investing in all these other things as well, it, it, it is pointless. It's just, it is wasted money. You know? So, a company might say their budget is. X amount for a year on health and safety, but if they're not getting any value out of that training, then what is the point? If you know, if a guy just thinks he's lost an hour of his day by sitting in a train, now he's got an hour to catch up on his productivity that day. That trains have no impact whatsoever. So I think coming seem to understand the value of this training, any form of training. I, I, I'm not one of these people say you must only do what we do. That any form of training on health, safety, and well-being, in my eyes, is good. As long as that training is delivering it in a good way, people feel engaged in the presentations, in the training, people join in, people go out thinking that was useful and apply some of their messages to what they do every day. Because if you're not, I'm just going, it's a tick box. And got, you know, box. Yeah, what, what is the point? And if anything, you've actually created more danger because now the guy's an hour behind is what he needs to get done that day. So we'll probably take a few more shortcuts just to catch up. So in a, in a, in a weird sort of way, if it's if it's poor health and safety training, you've probably created more risk by doing that training for an hour or two because guys are then feeling under pressure to catch up with the work that they've lost from, from, from the training. So, yeah, it, it, it's always ongoing. It's always developing. And I think for me, it's the understanding how this all fits together. Mm. Well, Jason... I, I have to say thank you ever so much for your time today. You've been absolutely wonderful and uh, you've absolutely symbolised why we wanted you on in the first place. And hopefully, who knows, uh, I, I, we, that wish could come true in the future. Um, how can people, how can our listeners and our watchers find you? Uh, just on the website, Anchor Marsh website, obviously. There's stuff to do with that, but I still get a lot of work for that. I've been proud to say how everyone's at now. She's got a list of speakers. Um, you know, that normally where it goes, get in touch with our baby. She gets me out speaking and I introduced him to the business. It's working really, really well. You know, we're in, we're in a really good place and we, we're definitely changing some attitudes at the moment. Definitely. And what you do, like I've said before, is so, so important. So we, we value you very much here. And uh, thank you again for coming on. And uh, it's been an honour talking to you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd just like to say one take as well. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Toby. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, mate. Thank you, Jess.